Good. Um, yes, yeah, so as Brad has said, today we're uh, finishing off the series. It's not about Sunday. And the passage I've been asked to, to preach is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 13. And uh, I make it my discipline that when I preach, I don't come to the passage with ideas and think this is what I want to speak about. Where is a passage that backs me up? Um, rather, I, I like to start with a passage and, and see what comes out of it. And as I studied this passage, there were essentially five things that I think it's about. And this is the order in which I think Paul raises them. Firstly, he talks about our, our identity in verse 1. Then he's got this interesting concept of us not receiving God's grace in vain. And we need to just think about what that means. Then he's got a little section about not offending people when you're doing ministry. Then he launches into quite a large section on suffering for the gospel. So I'm sure you all can't wait to, to get, get into that section. Uh, and then finally he ends off in verses 11 to 13, talking about relationship with leaders uh, in the church. So let's read this passage together and uh, see what God has to say to, to all of us as we read. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. In truthful speech and in the power of God. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor. Bad report, good report. Genuine, yet regarded as impostors. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, yet we live on. Beaten, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children, open wide your hearts also. That's verses 1 to 13. And the first thing that Paul talks about in this passage is, is ourselves as God's workers. And the question I want to ask you today... Is this how you see yourself as you live your Christian life? Do you see yourself as God's fellow worker? As God's co-worker? As 
being on God's team, doing God's thing, working with God. Good. <laughs> because this is a life-changing truth if we can get our heads and, and our hearts about it. There's a, there's a lovely Greek word here for us to learn. And by the way, um, it, it, learning to, to speak Greek is a lot easier than you might think. Because once you get over the alphabet, you find that a lot of words in Greek we know from English anyway. And uh, the word here, God's fellow workers, it's where we get our word synergy from. We are syn, uh, with the Y, not the I. Uh, we are together workers with God. He's talking about synergy here. That's, that's the root word here. We are God's workers. And sometimes I, I fall into the case where I think, you know, God's up in heaven having a lovely time. You know, we're down here on earth struggling away, doing our thing. But that's not what it's like at all. We are, we are God's workers, co-workers. We're actually just very small members of, of what's happening. Sometimes I get the feeling, gee, as a Christian, I have to change the world. I have to convert this person. I have to be bold. I have to heal the sick. Sometimes as a pastor, I have to deal with painful situations. People are dying. This one's had an accident. This terrible situation's developing. And I feel I have to fix it in some way. I'm responsible. And I've just got to remember and calm myself down and say, no, I'm not responsible for these things. I'm just God's co-worker. The only thing I've ever got to do in life is, is, is do my little bit with what God is doing. He's sovereign. We don't have to be rescuers. We are simply co-workers. I, uh, I often think of, of that passage in, in John chapter 5, where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And uh, this was a place where a lot of sick people used to go. Verse 3, they used to lie there. Uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And they had this crazy idea that when the water stirred, whoever got in first would, would get healed. Not sure where the idea came from, but people used to hang around there. There'd been a guy there for 38 years. And when Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, he heals just one person. He probably walked past a whole lot of other sick people. Who knows how many years they'd been lying there. But he heals one person. And when Jesus is questioned about this, he comes up with the whole thing. No, I only do what I see God doing. I only work. I, I only cooperate with God. And on this day, on this occasion, God wanted to heal that individual. And so that's what I did. That's what I did. I hope this... This truth of being God's co-worker makes you feel supported and valued. That there's significance in what you're doing. I think often Christians come unstuck when they set out to do what God isn't doing. It's their vision, their ideas. And we make little progress because it's not God's work we're necessarily doing. I want you to ask yourselves the question... This morning, 
Are you involved in, in God's work? Is it God's thing that you're doing? And are you playing the role of co-worker? It's interesting how Timothy is described by Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 3. He refers to Timothy, he's our brother and God's fellow worker. Is that how people would describe you? Is that the kind of reputation you have? You're a sister in Christ. You're a brother and you're God's co-worker. The next point that gets spoken about in this passage is the whole idea of receiving God's grace in vain. What does it mean to to receive God's grace in vain? There's the scripture, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So this is being addressed to a person who clearly is a Christian. This is addressed to someone who is God's fellow worker. So I don't think Paul is talking here about election and predestination and irresistible grace and all that great reform theology, if you think it is great. I don't think that's the kind of grace that we must be careful not to to miss out on or to receive in vain. I think it's an exhortation to us as Christians not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, what are those things that God has has blessed you with, has given you, has gifted you with? What are those opportunities God has given to you? This is the grace that's been spoken about here. It's possible for us as Christians to receive grace from God and to show no no fruit from that blessing. The verse goes on. And this is the context in verse 2. It is a quote from Isaiah 49. And it's a long passage, so we we won't read it. But it's addressed to to God's people. And the challenge is, gee, if God is, is doing something special among you, If you have a role to play, don't don't miss out on God's grace. I'm hearing a bit of clicking. Is that off-putting? Are you hearing clicking? It's it's like there's a record playing, you know, that's scratched. Okay, good. I'll try not to be put off by it either. Okay, so that's the background to this quote of not receiving God's grace in vain. It's, it's, um, It's from Isaiah 49. But I wanted to think more about not receiving God's grace in vain. And I thought of quite a few scriptures where as Christians we're we're warned not to receive God's grace in vain. Think of the parable of the sower. There are people there that receive a blessing from God. There's new life that develops in some of the people. That is grace from God that they've received. But the worries of this world choke Uh, That impartation from God. Think of the the parable of the talents. Not everybody gets the same gifting from God. One person gets five talents, another just one. And the whole point of that story is, gee, if you've been given grace from God, you've been given talents, what are you doing with that grace? Because it's quite possible for us not to use those talents, those those deposits of grace that God has given us. That's what Paul means when he writes, don't be the kind of person that receives God's grace in vain. Think of Romans 12 where Paul writes about spiritual gifts and 
And you can have a spiritual gift and not use it. There you've also received God's grace, but in vain. That's why he says, if you have the gift of hospitality, use that gift and do it without grumbling. If you have the gift of leadership, use the gift and exercise it with diligence. So even the gifts that God gives us, the charismata, all of the grace that God pours into our lives, are we using these things responsibly? Or are we guilty at times of having received God's grace in vain? And I want to make a real challenge for you, because in a church this size, there would have to be people sitting here today who've received grace from God, and you're just sitting with it. And it could be said of you that you've received God's grace in vain. And God's word is, today is the day of salvation. If God has given you something, use it, do it, do it today. 2 Peter 1 also comes to mind. His blessing has given us so much, therefore don't mess up. The third title uh, here in this passage I think is about avoiding offense. Avoiding offense. Paul says, we put no stumbling block. Again, the Greek, you'll probably know this word, scandalon. That's where we get scandal from. It's something that makes us, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a stumbling block to us. We get scandalized. Put, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. This verse calls for careful understanding because we know that the gospel is referred to elsewhere as being a stumbling block to people. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first letter that, that Paul wrote to these guys, we're, we're studying today the second letter. He says, we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to Gentiles. Here again in 2 Corinthians 2, four chapters earlier, Paul tells the people, gee, if you're a Christian, you are the fragrance of Christ to other believers. Other believers love us. We're the fragrance of Christ. But to non-Christians, we are the stench of death. Ever wondered why a non-Christian didn't respond well to you? <laughs> well, now you know why. Um, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, that's us, and to those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a toss? And then Paul reminds them that he's not in it for money. He doesn't peddle the word of God for profit. So what does Paul mean here? We, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path if the gospel itself can be a stumbling block. He's talking about doing those things that unnecessarily offend people or doing those things that undermines people's credibility and confidence in the gospel. What might some of these stumbling blocks be? Where Paul says, we put no stumbling block 
in people's paths. I think it's when we say one thing as Christians, but we live another. And boy, does that happen a lot among Christians. It's called hypocrisy. We, we say one thing, but our actions show we're doing another. Not practicing what we preach. That's a stumbling block for people. In business, when we give shoddy service to people, that becomes a stumbling block to, to people. Churches that exploit people financially, they're undermining the gospel. Any form of dishonesty or manipulation can become a stumbling block to people. It happened in Bible times. It happens today. Paul says we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. One of the reasons why Paul writes to Corinthians was to counter the criticism that he was receiving. And that's actually why he writes here about his suffering for the gospel. And we're going to look at that now. And it's very interesting what he has to say. He says in verse 4, As servants of God, we commend ourselves. Why is Paul having to commend himself? It's because people are bashing Paul down. They're saying, who is this guy who, who, who writes these big letters to us, but when he shows up, he's nothing? Who is this Paul character? And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians. He says, I'm, I'm commending myself here. The context of this letter becomes much clearer in 2 Corinthians 11. And I want us to just jump a few... Is the cracking still okay? Is that not bothering you? Okay, wow. <laughs> Shouldn't I just use one of these mics? Okay, that's good. Oh, no, it was the other one picking up the other one. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, man. Hello. Okay, now I can at least relax because I'm not cracking up. Okay, so this is very interesting. This is one of the reasons why Paul writes to Corinthians. And, and he, he apologizes here. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In the self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. That's sarcasm, by the way. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. 
what anyone else dares to boast about. Here's the apology. I'm speaking as a fool. Sorry about this, guys. I also dare to boast about, in brackets, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Quite funny that this is actually in the Bible. (laughs) Paul saying, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He's embarrassed about the fact that he needs to put forward his credentials. And he does that, we're back in chapter 6, the passage. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves. And I want you to notice the basis for which Paul rests his credibility. It's not on the amount of people he's healed. It's not on the sermons he's preached. It's not even on the amount of churches that he has started. Paul bases his credibility as a co-worker with God on how much he suffered for the gospel. He doesn't say, hey, remember the time I healed so-and-so at this place, or raised this guy from the dead, or he says, where does my credibility rest? Guys, it's, it's in the suffering that I've put up with for the gospel. I'm not like these other super apostles. And in 1, 2 Corinthians 11, again, he, he talks about in more detail his suffering. He just alludes to it in in chapter 6, and we already read that. But let's just look again at all that Paul went through and why he's saying, guys, you need to take me seriously because look what I've experienced for, for, for serving the Lord. I've worked harder, been in prison more often, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They did 39 because it was against the law to give over 40, and they scared they might miscount, so they always aimed for 39. Then if you got one wrong, it was still okay. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned in the biblical sense. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open seas. I've been constantly on the move, in dangers from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in dangers from the Gentiles, in danger at the sea, in danger in the country. I've read that. In danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn and feel it? So this is the basis on which Paul says, I have credibility to speak into your lives. Paul is saying, do you still want to criticize me? Do you still want to say I lack credibility? Do you still want to say I don't know what I'm talking about? What else do we learn from Paul's sufferings? Well, it makes our difficulties not seem so bad in life. The other day I was having a little pity party and thinking, yeah, this is bad, and then I suddenly thought to myself after reading this passage, hey, I haven't been flogged lately, I'm not naked, I haven't been shipwrecked, I haven't spent a night in prison, 
And then I suddenly felt, wow, I'm so blessed. <laughs> Next time you think your life is hard, have a read of this again and see, uh, see if it really is that tough. Another thing I learned from this passage, the prosperity gospel is absolute nonsense. This was one of the most spirit-filled guys this world has ever known. And he didn't have an outwardly hashtag blessed life. Um, actually, if something could go wrong for Paul, it probably did. I mean, can you imagine the average health and wealth are shipwrecked at sea for three days? I mean, they'd be thinking, where on earth, you know, what on earth is happening to them? And we learn that being a co-worker with God sometimes leads to suffering. Because Paul was being led by the Spirit. And this is where it got him. Not a once-off, gee, I got flogged by mistake. No, this was like a regular occurrence. And the final thing in our passage today is, has to do with our relationships with leaders. Relationships with leaders in the church is not always an easy thing. Leaders come and go. You've experienced that even here in Musenberg with Jason going and Brad taking over his role. Elders come and go. People fulfill different roles at different times. And the relationships between leaders and followers is not always an easy one. That's why Paul writes here to the Corinthians. And if I'm not mistaken, this was a church that Paul started. He writes, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you. But you are withholding your affection from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children, because Paul was the father in this community. Open wide your hearts also. This is quite a heartfelt plea from Paul, is it not? I almost think we shouldn't be reading this passage because it's like a personal word between Paul and these guys. But what is Paul essentially writing here? He's saying, you Corinthians, you guys, I love you so much. I've done so much for you. I've been honest with you. I've given you so much love and affection, but I sense that you are withholding your love and affection from me. And my appeal to you is, open up your hearts to me as I have opened my heart to you. Don't be so cold towards me, so critical, so hard-hearted. What an appeal for the Apostle Paul to have to make to the Corinthian church. There were some other verses on leadership that came to mind. Hebrews 13, Paul writes, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you 
as men who must give an account, obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Why is this verse even in the Bible? It's because people often don't want to submit to their leader's authority. The implication is that people are giving their leaders a hard time. That's why Paul writes here, you know, be submissive to your leaders. They're caring for you. They're watching over you. Let their work be a joy for them and not the burden that it has become. That's the only reason, rationale for Hebrews 13, verses 17, being in the Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5 is another verse about leadership. And the Bible says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Here it is, verse 13. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. I think these verses help better explain where Paul is coming from in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Open wide your hearts to me, he asks. In summary then, and I'm through, as we look at this passage, do you see yourself today as one of God's co-workers? Are you about your father's business? Is that what you're truly engaged with? You're very intentionally working with God in what God is doing? Are you someone who, who, is, who has received God's grace, but there's little to show for it? There is gifting. There is grace. There is stuff God's given you to do. Opportunity God's created for you. Don't be those who receive God's grace in vain. And for some of you, that can mean a refusal to step into positions of responsibility and leadership. I'm always on the lookout for small group leaders, and invariably people don't want to be one. (laughs) I think that's an example of people having the grace to be it and to do it, but not stepping up. Thirdly, are you and I doing all we can to maintain the integrity of the gospel message by the way we live? Paul says we don't put stumbling blocks in people's lives. We don't want to undermine our message as a church, our message as individuals who share the gospel because of how we live our lives. Are there things in any of our lives that actually undermine our message? The bad temper that you may have. Your reputation as a a worker, as an employee. Are there things about our lives in any way that undermine the, the credibility of the gospel? Fourthly, do you have a biblical perspective on suffering? Or are you totally shocked when something goes wrong in your life? Or suddenly there's opposition to what you're trying to do for God. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. And it's never that if you become a Christian, you'll be spared it. 
And finally, do you have a good and godly relationship with the leaders that God has established in your life? Are you a person who's closed-hearted and critical? Or are you someone with an open heart who's gracious and supportive and kind? Let's pray about these things. Once again, Lord, we are surprised at all that we learn from a, a single passage, a single chapter of your word. Lord, help us from this day forward to see ourselves as God co, God's co-workers, not people doing our own thing in our own strength. Help us to see, Lord, that we're called into your mission. We're called to join you in what you're doing, Lord. Forgive us for having our own ideas, our own visions. Lord, we want to join you in where you're working. Help us, Lord, to not put any stumbling blocks in the way of the gospel. Lord, show us if there are things about our lives and our ministries and our lifestyles that are offensive or a hindrance to people growing in God or becoming Christians. Lord, we don't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way. Help us, Lord, to have a biblical perspective on suffering. Give us, Lord, the grace to, to endure suffering. To know that our light and momentary troubles in this world are nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed for faithful service. Lord, may we not be those who receive your grace in vain. Lord, we don't want to get to the end of our lives and to find that you gave us this gift and that opportunity and that gift and this packet of grace and we did nothing with it. Help all of us to know, Lord, what you've called us to do, what our good works are that you've prepared in advance for us to walk in. And help us, Lord, to have good relationships with the leaders that God has established in our lives. Help us to love one another. Help us to be submissive, Lord, that their work can be a joy and not a burden. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.